good morning, everyone. Welcome to our service this morning. It's good to see you here today. Uh, reading is from the letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, and starting at verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Thank you, Rob. There are a few times in my life when I've found myself stuck. I don't mean stuck because I can't do something or um, I can't work something out or I haven't got the ability to solve a problem. I mean stuck, literally stuck, physically, unable to move. The first occasion was when I was about seven years old And I was at a gym lesson, and I thought it would be a good idea to see if I could squeeze behind the hot water pipe that ran around the room. Didn't really like gym. I was a bit fed up. I found that I couldn't, and I got stuck halfway. Mrs Keeling, of the Keeling School of Dance, where I did my gym, wasn't pleased. She was a very strict lady, very stern, very scary. And neither was my mum when she arrived to pick me up and I was stuck behind a hot water pipe. But they managed to get me free, which was good. The second occasion occurred ten years later when I got stuck in an outside toilet at a party. No one noticed, of course, because they were all having fun at the party. And eventually, 30 minutes later, I managed to prize my way out with a golf club that happened to be in the toilet. I'm not really sure. Maybe because this happened quite a lot. So they left a golf club in there. But the third occasion is the one that sticks in my memory, mainly because it happened about 15 years ago, and it's one of the most ridiculous things that I've ever done. Um, It started off really well. 
Well, not really well, but normally. Simon and I had gone out, and we'd happened to both somehow leave our keys in the house. It was one of those doors you shut it, that was it. Uh, So we came back, we hadn't got any keys, and we thought, okay, this is fine, we can break into our own house, not a problem, but we didn't really want to break the glass on the front door, because that's a cost, isn't it? So we tried to pick the lock, no doing it, can't do that, don't even know how to do it, seen it on the movies, but what's all this about? Haven't got a clue. So couldn't do that, tried to get through the letterbox with our hand. Yeah, no, that's not going to happen, is it? So we went round friend's house. I can't remember what we did, probably talked about it for quite a long time and then decided upon a plan which clearly wasn't going to work. So then we went round the back of the house because we thought, well, there must be a way in. And realised that, yes, there was a little window which led into a cupboard in our house. And I was the smallest, so... Simon and I agreed that I would go onto the roof, get into the little window, get through the cupboard, downstairs, open the door. Simple. Good. Excellent. So I got up. I managed to squeeze through the window head first, which when you part way through and you're just looking at the floor, is a little bit scary because there's only one way down. Got in, landed into the cupboard, and then realised the cupboard was locked. Oh, that was a good reaction. So there I was, in my own house, which Simon was locked out of, locked in my own cupboard. And Simon's like, it's all right, Kate, it's not a very strong lock, just run at the door. So I'm running at the door, and I'm hit. Have you seen the movies? People run at the door and it just opens. Oh, no, it doesn't do that at all. It really hurts. Ran at the door, kicked the door, banged the door. No. Seriously, it was a tiny little latch which you clipped over, couldn't open it. So in the end, Simon had to go around, smash the window at the front of the door, open the door, come in and open, let me out the cupboard. It was a bit embarrassing and totally pointless in the end, but you know. And each of these occasions that I've been trapped, that I remember, I'm sure there's more, have been slightly embarrassing, because it is embarrassing when you get trapped. But the thing that I remember, apart from the fear and the panic and the shame, is that when I was finally released, there was this sense of freedom, whether it was from behind the pipe or from the toilet room or from inside my own utility cupboard. It was so good to no longer be trapped. It was so good that I was free, free to move and to live and to be and do all the things I wanted to do. And, you know, here in the letter to the Galatians, a letter written to a number of churches a long time ago, One of Paul's big themes is freedom. He's writing the letter, you see, to a mixed group of people. Some are Jews who have become followers of Jesus and some are Gentiles who have realised that God loves them too. And the thing that they all have in common, apart from the fact that they worship Jesus, the risen Lord, is that they're now free. They are free to be the people that God created them to be. Whether they be Jewish Christians or Gentile Christians, whether they be slaves or slave owners, they are the people of God, all brought together as equals. Something that could never have happened apart from Christ in those times. And it must have been so good to finally realise that whatever background they had come from, Whatever traditions or rules they had been expected to live by in the past, they were now free of those. Because Jesus had opened the doorway to a new way of life where they could all be together worshipping him. And Paul wanted them to keep that freedom at all costs. 
mainly because recently the churches in Galatia had started to hear a new teaching. It was from a group of Jewish Christians who had been passing messages around the churches, messages which threatened to strip away this newly found freedom. What they were trying to do was enforce circumcision onto the Gentile Christians, those who had become Christians but weren't of the Jewish faith beforehand. And demand, they demanded that to follow Christ, rules needed to be put in place. Not just a worship of Jesus, but Jewish traditions needed to be met as well. They were trying to strip away the freedom of the gospel, if you like. They were sowing seeds of division and harm into these churches in Galatia. And so Paul writes this letter, not simply to encourage the Christians there, but to lay out in no uncertain terms that to follow Christ and to give their lives to him was to find true freedom. It was for freedom that Christ has set you free, he says at the beginning of chapter 5. Not for rules, not for rituals, not for laws, not for works, but freedom. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened by a yoke of slavery. You see, Paul is adamant that the freedom won by Christ on the cross, the freedom that has brought Jews and Gentiles together as equals, should not be compromised by those who seek to control it. But he's also adamant that this freedom, this wonderful gift of God to all people, should not be abused by those who it has been given to either. And so he goes on in this letter to explain what this freedom really means. And what he says is really quite surprising because what he talks about is not what we might expect. He doesn't write, for instance, about how these new Christians should be free to pray without traditions of the past or worship in whatever way they choose without festivals they used to have to have or approach God without cleansing or rituals. He doesn't talk about freedom from the rules which these people used to have to obey or the rituals that the Jewish Christians are trying to enslave them with again. Instead, he talks about a different type of freedom. Instead, he talks about a freedom to serve. He says, you, brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another, humbly, in love. Or if you like, Paul says, this freedom that Jesus has given is important. It's not something... We can do what we want with. It's not freedom given to us to satisfy our own needs and our own desires. Instead, it's a freedom that enables us to give. It's a freedom to serve. Because Jesus has done all the hard work. Jesus has paid the sacrifice. Jesus has done everything. So we no longer need to think about ourselves and how we can earn salvation or make the grade or meet the rules. But instead, we can be free to think of others and their needs, enabling us to serve each other, enabling us to prefer each other, enabling us, as some translations say, to become slaves to one another. Because in Christ, we're no longer focused on whether we make the grade ourselves. Instead, it's a new way of life, where God transforms us to become like Jesus. And this way of life cannot be lived through ritual, or rules, or works. It can only be done by learning to live life 
as the children of God, in his family, by his spirit, under his love and his grace. Which I think sounds wonderful as a concept, as an idea. But, you know, in all reality, when we look at this passage and how we're called to live freely, thinking of others, serving others, showing love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control instead of indulging our sinful nature... It can seem so hard. It can seem really, really hard to do all those things. In fact, it can seem so hard at times that it almost seems alien to live in these wonderful ways as human beings. But you know, as children of God, it's actually less alien than we think. Because these fruit of the Spirit, as they're called in this passage, are not just a list of good things to do. They're actually characteristics of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They're characteristics of God. This is what God is like. And this life of freedom to serve others is not just a nice way to live, a good thing to do. It's actually the way our Heavenly Father lives. So as his children, born of his spirit, these things that are in God, these characteristics are also within us as well. Or if you like, in this life of freedom, we're not asked to create a love we know nothing about. We're not asked to create joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control out of nothing when we have no idea what they are. Instead, we're simply trying to enable them to be the things that come out of our lives, the things that come out when we bump into people as we live each day for God. I'm sure many of you, um, like I did, grew up, in fact we did this on Mothering Sunday, motherly sayings, grew up with lots of sayings that, that mums used to say to you. And one of the things that um, my mum used to say quite a lot, I think we were going through a phase of not really eating, looking back, and she'd sit there and she, she'd say, you need to eat food, you need to eat, and then eventually she'd go, look, there are children starving in Africa, I have a mind to send all this food to them. And I'd sit there thinking... That's just ridiculous, isn't it? Because how are you going to put the food into a parcel, wrap it up, send it across, and it's still going to be edible? And I'd think, why is my mum saying that? I just didn't get it. I was a child. That's a ridiculous thing. And then I thought, I'm never, ever, ever going to say that to my children. Ever. Then a couple of years ago, I was sitting at the table, and my boys were going through a phase of not eating, not that that's ever stopped, but, you know, it was worse than normal. And... A phrase popped into my head about people starving. And I thought, no, I'm not going to say that because I promised myself I wouldn't. And then a bit later on in the meal, I said, do you know, boys, as calm as I could, I said, there are children who don't have anything. You are lucky to have this food. You really should eat it. I thought I'd done really well. And then I looked up and my sister was looking at me going... Mom, mom, mom. 
And I could, afterwards I said, that wasn't mum. She didn't say it. She used to go on and on and on. And she went, yeah, but you said it in a different way. You clearly thought about it, but it's still exactly what mum would have done. And, you know, however hard I tried, however hard I thought about it, however much I tried to change the wording, I still came out with what my mum had instilled in me years ago because I was brought up by her on a day-to-day basis. So when push comes to shove, I act like her more often than not. And, you know, as children of God, in the same way, we are being brought up by God himself. He asks us to come to him for guidance, for love, for assurance, for identity. We see him in those around us, the father figures you like that we talked about earlier. But our call is to come to God and to learn from him. And when we do that, when we spend time in our father's presence, when we keep in step with his spirit, if you like, we become like him. Until one day we'll find that we begin to act like him. The words we speak are like his words. The things we do are like him. The way we respond is exactly how he would respond. Until we find that however hard we try and however much we think about it and however long we spend trying to change the wording, we cannot help but be like him. We cannot help but love someone. We cannot help but be gracious. We cannot help but hold on to self-control when we're pushed beyond it. We'll not be able to help being kind to those who have been thoughtless to us. Because this is what our Father is like. And if we seek to grow as his children, if we keep coming back to him, if we keep walking with him, if we keep talking with him, if we keep putting him first, then this is what we will be like as well. These characteristics will come out of us as natural as if they were always there. Because this is the freedom he has given us in a world where everyone is trying to meet their own needs and everyone's trying to satisfy their own desires. We're free to let go of our own interests, knowing that Jesus has done all the work, knowing that we are loved unconditionally, knowing that we are secure so that we can focus our attention on serving others and giving all we have for other people.